All right, here we are. Here we are. Yeah, science in between. Science in between the, the holiday edition. This it, well, I don't know. It might not be the holiday edition for oh, them. That's true. Uh, you know, that's who true. knows when they're going to listen to this? Could be listening to this in like right. twenty twenty seven. You know, and they could who be knows? listening to it in another country. Right, and it for might not is- be the no no holiday there. The same as ours. We're recording this a couple of days before Thanksgiving in 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 America. 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 And you know, yeah. I'm Ollie, and that's and Scott. I'm, I'm Scott, and this is Science in Between. And you want to set this up a little bit because I think this yeah. is this this emerged from your classrooms and your 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 big brain, right? My big my big my big brain, my big yeah. giant brain pan. Yes, um, yeah. So, um, so what we were going to try and talk about today, we'll see whether this is is uh is where it's going to go. As usual, it's all you never know. Um, yeah. So, uh, one of the things that I've been doing over my, you know, my career, I guess, or certainly my time, um, as a teacher educator is to think about what are the, how do I think about science teaching differently than the, the, the status quo, the current mode of science teaching. Um, and so it, as AST became more reified and articulated, um, I use that as the stand-in for, for quality instruction. So, so what's, so what are the ways in which AST is different than status quo teaching? So I've been building a list of those sort of contrasts or dimensions or whatever, um, for a while. And this past week in my class, um, I had my students do this. So I, I gave him one example um, of a contrast between AST and status quo teaching, and then I had them in groups generate all the other ones that they could think of, and then we had sort of a whole class conversation where we listed those out and see if we had any to add. I threw a couple of mine in that they didn't have that I felt were important to get into the mix, and we ended up with a pretty exhaustive list. And um, you know, there's a lot of overlap across these categories and these. Um, these phrasings, but I think it's, it's interesting. It was interesting for me to hear the way that my students talk about all this stuff um, and what kind of contrast they're putting out. And, um, and then you see that, what did you see the conversation with? Yeah, I was just, I was just going to say, so the one that I, the one that I started with, which is one that we've definitely talked about a lot on this show. And that I think we see as the foundation of all this is the, the curious and judgmental. So curious is the AST side and judgmental is the, is the status quo side. I, I thought, I, I mean, I'm looking at the list and it's yeah. at the top of the list, but my feeling list. was that because this has been such a huge part of the Ted Lasso show, yeah. like that's the thing that is always, you know, quoted from Ted Lasso is be curious, not judgmental. Yeah. I thought that was, you know, if I was going to wager, you know, that was the one I was going to. That was the one. You are yeah. correct. Yeah. Yes. So, I, I win you the get Scott. five points. You get an A for the day. The Scott McDonald bingo. I want it. Yes. 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 Um. <laughs> yeah. So so we started with that. And and I talked about actually one of the things and we'll probably talk about this more as we talk about these different categories. Another thing that happened is is. <clears throat> My students were asking, well, because the idea of this was to generate a set of principles, and we're not quite there yet, but um, principles that guide instruction. And one of the things that they said is, well, some of these things are 
not principles, they're practices. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Like, let's talk about that for a minute. What's the difference between a principle and a practice? And, uh, and one of my students, um, said, well, uh, you know, what I think about as the difference is that, um, a, a practice is observable. It's something you can see. So, um, it's something that you do, whereas a principle is why you do it. And it has to do with your values, what, what are underlying those mm. practices. So I think that that's an interesting distinction. Now the list that we have here hasn't been categorized that way because that was sort of the end of the conversation. Um, but I think that'll be the next step is sort of grouping these things together and then seeing if there are values that underlie those principles. And if some of those values are named here, um, then we can use that language. Uh, but, but yeah, it's, it's been a really interesting activity. So, um, so can, before we yeah. like jump into, I just want to put a pin in this, Absolutely. That, this activity that like we're going to talk through and then having them categorize would be a great professional development thing to do. Sure. If when we like, we have a, like, so we have this year of professional development that we're planning with some uh, teachers and, and leaders around the state, but this would be, a, we're, we're meeting with them face to face in the spring. Mm -hmm. This would be a great thing to do as like a, a culminating activity, but then not only like list these terms, but then putting them into like categories or buckets. Cause I think some of these buckets um, you know, I, I looked at them, you, you say principles versus practices. I, I looked them at, at them be beyond just values. Um, but also, you know, some of them are connected to learning and some of them are way outside of learning, right? They're about like, you know, community, like how we, how do we interact with one another, you know, and what does it say? You know, so I yeah. think there's some, something there too. I think, and it would be interesting to see how, because I think you give these terms to lots of people, you're going to get lots of different organizational systems, you know, and that's the cool thing about like any sort of qualitative work. Right. And that's right. what this essentially is, right. Is some, yeah. you know, no, it's exactly what it is. And I think, um, yeah, I mean the, the, I think I've talked a little bit about the process here, but what I've been doing with my students, this is sort of the culmination, well, almost the culmination of this string of activities through the semester. So they started with making observations in classrooms, and then they had to answer those two questions about those observations. So I observed this thing. Right. What? How does it impact the community and how does it impact the sort of notions of science? So we've got this spreadsheet with all their observations and their answers to those questions. And then we have this, and then they're going to create their categories and they're going to go back and look at that stuff that they've done and say, oh, like, here's this thing I observed. Here's how I classified it. Now, can I put the values in that we've identified or the practices or whatever and say, that's an example of curiosity versus judgment. Yeah, so I think cool. it's going to come full circle. So, um, so yeah, I think it would be good um, as a, I mean, that's that's how it was designed, right? It's a professional learning opportunity. It just happens to be for pre-service teachers, not in-service yeah. teachers. But but uh, but I think yeah. thinking about the reasoning underneath this is important. I mean, we're, that's a, that's a science thing too, right? Like patterns are useful, but understanding why patterns exist is even more useful, right? Like just being able to say there is a pattern, you know, that's good, but we want to know why. You know, we have, I would even go to, as far as say that a pattern is like a cross cutting concept. Oh, you might, you might even say that, that all of <laughs> science is about patterns. There you go. I'm Look sorry, at you. I just, 
just being a little, okay. you know, yeah. you know just playful being, this morning. Being a little, oh, are you? <laughs> yeah. being, a, being a little Ollie this morning. Yeah. Little, oh. Well, that's what I bring to the show. I don't, I, I don't contribute much. This is what I do. <laughs> <laughs> You're the hype man. I am. I just come in, inject some, you know, some humor, back dance, out. Dance at the front of the stage, <laughs> yeah. pull out a harmonica, play a little riff on it. Yeah, Whatever know. it takes. Whatever it takes. Uh, so, yeah. So why don't you uh, pick one that you think is interesting off this list to talk about? Well, I th- I think – can I, like, do some, like, some groupings? Like, so sure. I, I think that what I find is interesting is that, like I, I said about the community versus the individual, that's one of the, mm-hmm. the tensions. So in, you know, status quo, you know, we're talking about individual learning, whereas, uh, you know, in AST, we're talking about, like – you know, community and discussions, right? We're talking mm-hmm. about, you know, and I think we've talked about this before is that what we're trying to do is to bring ideas to the community, to the classroom where we discuss these things and we try to reach some sort of consensus that's based on evidence. And so I think that that tension of individual versus community, but it also kind of threads out to some of the other terms there too. You know, it is definitely discussion versus textbook, right? We're not really talking about the big book of science here, right? That's the tension in the, that's the, you know, perspective in a traditional classroom, not always, but I mean, it is really that there's this big book of science, right? Um, and that it, there is these, these factual things that you have, like, that's out there, right? But, mm-hmm. you know, in, in an AST classroom, we're talking about this being discussion, evidence-based, explanation-based. And so I think I see those, and these are, you know, I'm really talking about three tensions that <clears throat> your class outlined. But, I mean, I see those things as being definitely connected. Yeah, I think they're connected. But I think also, I mean, part of the reason I think it's useful to list them separately is because I think, for example, community versus individual as a tension is actually independent of explanation versus memorization. Right. So you could have a classroom that focuses on explanation, but is also focused on individual work, right? Or not, or seeing the class as individually oriented, right? Um, So I do think while they're related, I mean, the point is hopefully they all are related to some degree, but the the question is how do you pull them apart and see the distinctions that but, but I agree there's a bunch in here that that overlap um but I think another thing that from that I'm interested in thinking about cuz I think you said you know that these things go beyond the classroom and I agree entirely yeah. but I think <clears throat> the second part of that is it's also why it makes them useful and important to think about in the classroom, because really what we're trying to do is establish a set of norms about the way that we talk with other people about important issues that hopefully will carry forward. Like we talk about mm-hmm. this all the time on the show, like we want people to be able to have a conversation about climate change where they can have a real conversation about ideas and try and understand one another and try and work towards productive understandings of these things. Um, so yes, we want the, we, we are modeling the kind of community that we want to see. So we are creating hopefully, and that's, that's part of what makes it authentic to science, to, to the larger world, which is another important thing. We don't have authentic in here, but AST is, you know, authentic, more authentic, um, status quo is school. Um, yeah. it is, it is, um, plain school. 
it, it is a, a a place that is unlike any other place, right? School right. is its own. It, it is its entity. own thing. Yeah, and and the skills that you learn in school are not really transferable to many other places, uh, except for other school based places. Right. 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 Other things that are oriented like tests to some, right? Right. I mean, even when, you know, when we, when, you know, a lot of, um, you know, like if we assign a paper, right, in in our our classroom, most of us are assigning individual papers where students are working on things on their own. But I mean, when you think about like in the like reports and things and that people generate in real, like very few of us work in isolation. Like all of us are working you know, with someone else and, and collaborating on stuff with, I mean, there, there's been do- documents I've been working on lately that have literally dozens of people working on it, right. you know, and, and that isn't something that school has scaffolded me to, you know, it's like been a, a very separate thing. Yeah. Sure. I think, I think the, 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 we've used this metaphor before, but I think it's, it's good to kind of cycle back it, it, in a way, it's the it's the elephant, right? We're we're trying to describe the elephant, and we're right. we're blindfolded, yeah. and we're, and we have a bunch of people trying to like describe the 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 elephant about like, okay, well, what is an AST classroom like, and what's a you know, um, the status quo like, and we're trying to like describe it based on all these different features, and mm-hmm. those features have parallels, you know, intentions or competing tensions or whatever, however you want to describe it, but I think that that's the that's the I think the the good part about this process is that it can help, you know, somebody, a novice, somebody who may be new to the AST classroom, better understand how, how radically different it is. Right. Yeah, it is. It, it is interesting. And, and I like, that's a good metaphor. Um, or I think it's a metaphor, right? It's a, it's, it's whatever a story. Analogy. <laughs> it's, a thing. it's a thing. It's a joke. It's, it's not, it's not an yeah. idiom. It's definitely, no. I don't think, I, no, it's not an idiom. No. I didn't. Nobody's calling anybody an idiom in here, oh, right? Just well, easy. I'm just going through the figures of figures, uh, figure of language, right? That's uh, figure. Listen to you. you <laughs> I know you, 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 you listened in English class. You, I did. Well, I, I learned that. You know, I uh, had to apply it some sometime. Sometime. You know? May as well make it useful now. It hasn't come up on a trivia quiz yet. <laughs> yeah. What are the different forms of of uh, uh, figure of language? Figure of language. <laughs> That'd be good. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I think these, you know, they're, um, yeah, they're, I mean, one, one of the questions, well, this is a different thing. Let me, let me pick a different one because there's another one on here that I really, um, that, you know, we've been talking about David McRaney's book about, uh, about how minds change. And, um, one of the core pieces of that book is about persuasion because that's the way that that's sort of the perspective he takes on, on changing minds, which is that changing minds is a, is an act of persuasion. Um, but and he contrasts that he does. He, and that's what I'm contrasting it with sure. right now. Right. Which is this, he, he contrasts it with coercion. Right. And so I, I put this up on the board and then I, I read um, and I'll, I'll read it to you here. Um, wait, I got to find it now. But um, the definitions that he uses, um, and he uses uh, a psychologist, Richard uh, Perloff. So he diff- you can differentiate, differentiate coercion from persuasion when, quote, dire consequences, unquote, are employed to encourage someone to act as the coercer wants them to act. Right. 
and presumably contrary to their preferences. So then he goes on to say, um, people believe when people believe that they are free to reject the communicator, right? So in this case, the teacher, that's when ethical persuasion is at play. So when you feel like you can reject what the the person's trying to persuade you of, that's persuasion. When the individual perceives they have no choice but to comply, the influence is better viewed as coercion or coercive. Right. So it comes back to agency. It comes back to like where where the individual's agency is. Like if they if they feel they have some, you know, agency in the decision making process of whether they can accept or refute that, then it, it's persuasion. But if they feel have no agency, yep, then they have not. Then it's coercion. Right. So so interestingly, right, if you take that up, it's hard to describe status quo teaching as anything but coercion, right? Because you are you are the dire consequences. You can decide if if it if an F, uh, dis, you know, constitutes d dire consequences, or being sent to the principal's office, or getting a, a suspension or a detention or whatever, right? But um, but certainly there is no sense that that kids' uh, points of view about what is right and what is wrong are are considered uh, in schools as valid. Yeah, and I think that brings up another tension. And I know these are isolated and separate, but I think they do overlap. Is you know, I've been talking about the agency, but you know, I think the parallel for that or the opposite end of that is the is the authority. You know, teachers are viewed as the authority and that we possess, you know, the the information, the right answer, and that uh the students, you know, position. And this is, you know, it, the going back a handful of episodes about like the student's position to the ideas where they're, you know, because this was the, you know, five, you know, the five whys that that was, you know, that episode. Yes. Yeah. Right? yeah. But I think that when we started to strip a, a, apart that, um, that I think that's where I came to is like, where do we want students to be positioned in terms of the information? And I think that, you know, the coercion, persuasion, agency, authority, dimensions are really important to talk about there, you know? Yeah, no, I mean, they fundamentally, I mean, you know, if we were looking at big categories, certainly one of the big categories that, that it is in here is about relationality. And again, we talk about teaching all the time as a re relational activity about relationships, but these characterizations are, what are the nature of the relationship between the teacher and the student? Right. And and per persuasion, coercion, agency, authority. These are directly comments on what are the relationships between the students in the classroom and the teacher in the classroom. And uh, and I think they, you know, back to your original point, like they also are about our relationships as citizens to the government or to people who have, right. quote unquote, power over us. Right. So all of the this is establishing a pattern for. How does our society operate and how should it operate? Um, so even though it's just science class, it also has an impact on lots of things about how kids think about just the way the world works and in particular authority. And, and you know, we, we can bring it all the way back to that, um, you know, the conversations we've had about COVID and what happened with with um, the right and wrong answers. And maybe that's another one, one that we can take up, um, which is isn't about community explicitly, but is about um, uh, 
what happens with authority if we view what authority says as having to be either correct or incorrect, right? So, so this idea that in an AST, we think about improving ideas. Like we're not yeah. trying to get to right answers. We're just trying to make your ideas more robust, more evidence-based, more well-reasoned, right? And that everything's tentative, that we're like trying to like right. always improve it based on, on the evidence we collect. Yeah. You know? So you have on that side, the improving ideas side, and on the other side, in the traditional status quo, everything's right and wrong. There, There's no sort of gray area. There's no, there's no improvement even because everything's just right or wrong. So if it's wrong, then you, you should not know it and you should replace it with the right thing. And if it's right, then you're good. Right. So this, so that right, wrong dichotomy really, um, again, isn't just, it isn't just bad for science. It's bad for everything in terms of our interactions with authority. Yeah, and and I think that kind of spills over to an, another tension is this, and I, I I see these lists as being you know uh, authoritative versus democratic or democratic versus anti democratic, but there's this equitable tension versus mm -hmm. hierarchical or you know a a, a power differential because there's definitely I mean there is like there is a power differential between the teacher and the student that but. But the classroom doesn't have to be organized in a way that 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 information is held by the teacher and is you know given you know to you know the the students. Mm -hmm. I think there's a different way that we can approach the classrooms to make it a more equitable space and equitable for all, not just te teacher versus student, but student versus student, right? And yeah. you know, and all of the different you know different ways that we can slice and dice that up is that, you know, we know that science has not been the most equitable, you know, content area for, for folks. Not, I mean, not that, right. the, you know, other content areas have been more or less equitable, but we know that, you know, looking at science, um, science has a, you know, has an issue with that. It, there have been people right. who have been, you know, told they can't be scientists either explicitly or implicitly, right. That science isn't, yeah. you know, Science isn't for you. And, and, and that's, I think, partly due to that power differential that happens in our classrooms and specifically by the people who, you know, we're putting in front of the classrooms. Like, you know, you know, you and I are, you know, old white guys. Um, mm -hmm. but I think that you and I are also, we also recognize that, uh, we, have to have people they students have to see themselves in the class the people who are in front of the classroom right mm -hmm. and it, you know i this is an aside but i i'm teaching a, a class this semester and one of the things i i start with is you know why'd you become a teacher like why you know and we talked yeah. about this before um this was the first time that i had at least three people in this class said i'm becoming a teacher i'm becoming a teacher because i didn't see someone like me in front of it Mm -hmm. They they wanted to they they're trying to increase the representation now you know one was uh, uh they were all you know people of color um and mm -hmm. you know what was uh, Latina the other two were African American but it was so great to hear them so like be so clear with that like mm -hmm. I you know I love my content area I want to teach it but I also want to be you know someone who represents for other you know the boys and girls out in the in the world who want you know yeah. They yeah. want to see this. The world is more equitable, right? I mean, that's that's great and inclusive, and you know, 
Right. And then, and the other dimension of equity that, you know, there's the representation dimension of equity, but there's also the systemic nature of, of oppression issues that science has played a significant role in. I mean, if you think about some of the major issues that we're grappling with as a society right now, <clears throat> they are based in definitions that were created by science, right? So race and gender both are, um, and for that matter, sexuality, but all of those things were defined largely in, in the defined largely in the context of science, right? Like we have female is a certain or organization, XY chromosome, right? And right. male is, an, and, and so science has defined it this way and that, ha and that then becomes the right answer and it becomes systematized. And so then when, when there are issues that happen that come up in society where the people say, well, I don't identify with either of those, or I identify with one, even though genetically I'm the other. Now we have people who are being told they're wrong about their own identity, right? Like you're, you're not really who you think you are. You're this other right. kind of person. And, um, and I think, so there's those things, including, you know, race doesn't have the identification issue, but it has the classification issue that, um, right. That is, is pernicious too. So there's, aspects to science in terms of equity and um and hierarchy that are important that power imbalance is important because science made a significant if not fundamental uh played a fundamental role in the characterization that now is being used to oppress people yeah you know you talk about that uh in terms of like classification like there you know i and i think i've mentioned before my my father my father came from Italy mm -hmm. and so was born in Italy and came over when he was, you know, young, was held back in kindergarten because he couldn't speak English. Um, it, you know, at that time, there were parts of this country where my father would have been considered a person of color. Yeah, sure. You know, because Italians were not considered to be white, you yeah. know. And so while I'm here saying I'm an old white guy, you know, yeah. the reality is that my dad and his father were probably not considered white people in and so these these constructs you know are you know are intended by someone someone in power to be in exclusive you know mm -hmm. and i think that's another dimension that you know i think ast can you know it represents a more inclusive classroom space yeah yeah well i mean my my people are mostly irish and they would have been the same way right like right. the irish and the italians like were in the same category of not white right for for a long time so <laughs> all right <laughs> i i think i think you're still muted there friend Okay, so I just did that backwards. So I should have <laughs> muted the part where I made the horrible noise. And now during my erudite conversation about important issues of the day, I should be unmuted. But instead, I did the reverse. So. That's the uh, that's the high quality production. That's, that's that what you our, get. Our listening audience have come to expect. That's what we bring as. here: is the inability to use the mute button appropriately. <laughs> <laughs> that's sort of a low bar for professionalism, right? Like, uh, okay, we don't, we forget to introduce the show, and we don't know how to use the mute button. And so, sometimes we forget to title. <laughs> nah, that I mean that really and that, that, happens. And that, that really <laughs> doesn't happen anymore anymore. <laughs> uh, well, I, I think the one I want to I want to challenge, or I think we need to talk uh, about, is this you know the the happy happy fun 
times. Uh, fun versus boring. <laughs> right. Because, I mean, that was one that came, did that come from your students? You know? Yeah, it did. It did, but it's also come from, um, from another, uh, from another member of the community as a critique of AST that yeah, not that, like the school community in which my students operate. It's like, well, this is just, you know, happy, happy, fun times. Yeah. Boop, boop. Let's get hype. Let's get hype. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and I think, you know, while it can be a, you know, it can be fun. I don't know if that's the reason anybody's doing it. Right. Is it? Well, I mean, I, I don't know, maybe, but I think, you know, it's it's fun in the way of, you know, the joy of discovery kind of fun. I think yeah. the distinction being that we could make here and, and you did this in the, in the pre-show. So maybe you can talk about your example, but this, but, but is, is something about f the reason I object and I didn't originally have fun on the, on this list. Cause I objected to it because I object to the idea that it's just fun. I think maybe that's the thing that I, that bothers me is right. it's like, okay, well, I don't mind it. And we've talked about this too, the word engagement. Ugh, the, um, right. But, um, but do I want kids to enjoy class and to look forward to coming and having an opportunity to talk ab about science ideas and improve their science ideas? Yeah, that'd be good. I'd like them to enjoy coming to class. I don't want them to think it's going to be a slog where they're taking notes every day and it's just a bunch of memorization. It's boring. Um, but I also don't want to trivialize AST as being just about fun. And I think you can talk a little bit about that distinction. Yeah. So I, I, I in, in our pre-show, we're, we're talking a little bit about these lists and I, I, I have a, I work with a teacher or, you know, I, I, I go to his classroom frequently mm -hmm. um, in which it is just, it is game time. It is. And I, I mean that from the standpoint that this guy, he has lots of, you know, uh, the clickers, the flashing lights, the it's almost like game show time. And, mm -hmm. it, and, and, and I, when I've observed him or when I've observed the students of ours that he's worked with, I always go, okay, like, like it is fun is the, the elements. It is the main teaching pedagogy in mm -hmm. this classroom. Right. And, uh, but the, the learning is mainly about processing information. It is mainly, mm -hmm. I mean, it, it are, if you were to say, what are these students being prepared to do? They're being prepared to go to the bar on a Friday night and rock at a trivia, <laughs> a trivia <laughs> contest. Yeah, you know, that quite literally, is it. Quite literally, literally yeah. they're, they're being prepared for that. <laughs> and so, and you described it so eloquently. And this is again, in the pre-show, you said it's still the death march. Right. Mm -hmm. It's so that it's just that the the fun sauce is like overwhelming. It's like a, it's more fun sauce that they don't even realize that's right. The it's part. a fun sauce cannon that they're just right. Ooh. Yeah. It is like it, it. What What is that? The show on Nickelodeon where they used to yeah. do the slot, the the slot? or whatever. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's but, what this is. It's the yeah. death march, but you just get dumped on with slime. Everyone's going to drown like, it. <laughs> yes. That is exactly <laughs> what it is. And I, you know, and I, I, I mean, the kids are absolutely engaged. They're definitely engaged. They come to class and and they're just like enthralled by it. And and I'm sure by you know there's some the parents that probably love this guy. Um, but in the same sense, I I they're I mean he's the director of this classroom. He is the mm -hmm. game show host. 
right yep. and it's like hey to the next next we're going to move to this and it's yep. like like it is it is he's uh the the it's a three ring circus and he's the ringmaster yeah yeah no i think that's that's um i mean there's all sorts of versions of that and i think especially you and i who have an interest in technology there's a long history of technology oh, yeah. being used this way right it's like oh well if the kids all have ipads then they'll yes. be engaged if they play you know mind blaster on their ipads to learn their math facts then that's that's going to be so much cooler than just sitting and memorizing them that they're going to love math and it's like well maybe you're not really understanding how the world works if that's how you're you're thinking i mean Will they learn their math facts? Probably. Are they going to, you know, but is, is that trivializing the fun? Like, I think part of the, um, I guess what I'll, I'll build on that and say that cause, cause when I hear fun as a, as a critique of AST, what the folks who are critiquing it would put on the other side of that tension is rigor. They would say right. their classrooms are rigorous while the AST classrooms are fun. And I would take, I would say, no, actually, fun's contrast is boring. If you want to contrast rigorous, I think rigorous belongs on the AST side. And what you have is, and you just described it, trivia. It's trivial. Yeah. Like you're learning a lot of trivia. You're not, it's not rigorous science learning. There's nothing, even science about it. It's really just memorization of stuff. It happens to be the facts that you're memorizing are in the domain of science, broadly speaking, but what you're doing has nothing at all to do with science. So, um, so if you want to talk about which side of this equation is rigorous science, well, AST wins hands down because they're actually engaged in, in explaining the natural world, which is what science is about. And also what gets scientists and kids excited about it, right. Is trying to understand and developing an explanation that makes sense. Like that makes you feel good in a much different way than like getting a trivia answer, right. And having some guy smash a hype button that makes a, a horn noise, right. <laughs> that you're like, wah, wah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. like, okay, yeah, I guess I got that one. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it it is it is literally like that. It is like flashing lights. I need you it to take like, a video in this classroom and just bring uh, it to, to uh, show me because I I can't. I it's just hard for me to even imagine a classroom like this. You cannot imagine it. I I will just say you cannot. Like if <laughs> you're walking down you. the, <laughs> I I'm if you walk down the hall, uh, you could literally see the lights flickering from outside it's like christmas it's like, like dj's booth yeah, you said yeah right? yeah yeah I, I don't want to go too far yeah it is like it, it is really and there's always music playing there's always music playing i mean I, i'm sure the students love this guy yeah. you know and i mean and he is he I'm, I'm sure he puts a lot of time and energy and thought into the stuff he's doing um but it is it is you know it's the death march it's just you know the fun sauce takes, you know, yeah. it overwhelms the yeah. taste. A sw <laughs> swimming pool of fun sauce is enough yes. to overwhelm any death march. Uh, you know, yeah. it, or or it's the uh, I, I, what, oh, I was going to – it's a sprinkle of fun sauce makes the death march go down. Oh. Oh. <laughs> but this is more than a sprinkle of fun sauce. It is more spoonful, than a spoonful. Spoonful. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Mary Poppins oh, reference. I know. That's old school. 
Didn't expect that. I did no. not I like referencing Mary Poppins. We're all over the place today. Are you going to do Poppins, like a bad cocky accent now? Like, oh, they, oh, you only have the one accent. Sorry. One. <laughs> it's not I Cockney. Do, I can do Calypso Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Who I'm sure would sound Cockney to me. <laughs> only to you. Is there is there an equivalent to colorblindness that has to do with accents? Because that would be fascinating. I, I am both colorblind and accent blind. Accent blind. <laughs> what kind of accent did they have? I don't know. It was like Cockney or Spanish or Southern. I don't know. It was one of those. Yeah, Pittsburgh. Well, have, yeah, Pittsburgh. That's the one I I can I can nail a Pittsburgh accent. You know, I can nail that. Be, yeah. It's, it, all I have to do is have, like have have a an adult beverage or two, and it comes right back. Comes right you know? out. <clears throat> yeah, it does. So I don't know how how much further down the list we want to go because there's still a lot your students have identified that we haven't talked about. But I think the one the the thing I I want to frame this and this is I I just and this goes back to a conversation you and I had recently was that um I just finished the Ultra podcast by uh, Rachel Maddow and uh and I know some people love Rachel Maddow and other people um not so much but uh, it is a historical perspective on uh a uh a trial an investigation of some anth- uh some fascists um during the 1940s and so it's, it's they were really, nazis basically right? they were they nazis because they, yeah, yeah, it was pre well, world war 2 it was right it was pre world war 2 through world war 2 i mean these right. these trials were going uh, the trial was in like 1944 and so mm. it was like right, right in the thick of it um and uh and I think that when you listen to that and the and the the view they had of what they wanted the government to be, what these folks and these were Americans, these were Americans, these were senators, they were congressmen, yeah. Yeah. they were interacting with uh, the German government to you know really overthrow the uh, the democratic process in our country and mm-hmm. and replace it with something that was more authoritarian. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know I just I just finished it just recently, and I think that the. the the part to me, and this is where you know she kind of wraps it up, is talks about like how we as as citizens today have to really be mindful of the fact that we we play a role in democratic process, and mm. that and that we ha- are are agents of change in our society, and that we always have to be mindful of the fact that the way we interact with each other, the way we interact with our government, the way we interact voting booth, the way that we interact with you know media. All of it is stuff that we play a role in, and and the and the thing I think was missing from her conversation, but I think is uh, like really important here is it's it's also got to be playing a role in our classrooms, and I see AST as being a much more democratic, little d democratic space because of where the students are positioned in in respect to. The information, information gathering, uh, explanations, evidence, all of that stuff and all the things we talk about on this, these lists of tensions is really democratic versus authoritarian. Yep. And I and and I know that some people might bristle from that and that, you know, the thinking about the status quo traditional classroom as being an authoritarian space. But I think it. I think we could probably make a pretty good case for it. You know, having yeah. been, I think the yeah. case makes itself. I mean, I right. Yeah. Right. And I don't think any, like any teacher would go, well, I'm, you know, I'm not like a dictator in my classroom. Well, some may say that that's what yeah. they want to be. Right. Right. Um, 
But I think that, you know, anybody in that with that power, power, power differential that sees himself as like going, you know, what, I'm OK with that being a dictator because of blah, blah, blah. I think that's a, pretty much the argument these, these other folks are having in this this ultra podcast is that they felt that they were better positioned to make decisions for our society than yeah. the everyday person. Yeah. Well, this is always the way that that um, dictators position themselves, right? As the the philosopher king, the, the the person who knows and understands the world better and therefore can make a better world. Um, yeah, I think these, I, I agree. I think this, it's hard to, to imagine there's a right-wrong perspective in schools that is fundamental to authoritarianism. Like gray space is not part of the way that authoritarian um systems work right there it's not like oh yeah let's have a conversation because there's there's things to negotiate or discuss here it's like i have the right answer if you have the same answer as me then then you're right if you have the different answer to me then you're wrong it's not it's not a conversation so um so i agree i think um those things are tied together and it's got the other attributes of authoritarian systems in that there's punishments right and whether you want to see those things as punishments or not, um, bad grades are punishments. And you people would say, well, yeah, but good good grades are rewards. Well, there's a whole book about rewards as punishments. If you want to, Alfie Cohn wrote a really nice book about it. So if you want to understand that the difference between punishment and reward is just directionality, has nothing to do with whether it's coercive or not. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, I think I think it's. What? what other podcast would have Ted Lasso, Mary Poppins, and Alfie Cohn? Yeah, like what? Uh, what other po- podcast? <laughs> it's it's oh. hard to and in in a conversation about author, authoritarianism versus democratic schooling, like <laughs> in in yeah. Oh, you know who I'm going to throw in there? Our friend of the show, John Dewey, oh. king of democratic schooling. Come yes. on, how do you not throw John Dewey in there? Well, I, I mean, I'm just I'm just name dropping him now. I'm not really talking about no, it. But it didn't yeah. it, it didn't come up in conversation. No, you know? no I'm just. I, mean, I guess he did. Yeah. You, you just yeah. kind of inserted him, uh, John Dewey. My friend John and I were the other day <laughs> just hanging out with John Dewey. <laughs> I was uh, reading reading some of his work and noticed he talks about this democracy thing. Um, yeah, I guess it's it's a thing. It's, it's a thing. It apparently, was a thing. But uh, so if we're gonna like. You know, I, I use the term scaffold. If we're going to try to prepare students to to enter in society, right, and we want that to be a democratic society, then don't we have to like prepare them for that by you know making our classroom space a more democratic space? You know, I don't know. That's just me, yeah. and I, you know, that's. I, I don't think it is just you, but I I think, uh, <laughs> yeah. um, I think, but I do think. Pushing this to this level, I think, is an interesting um, – it, it would be interesting to see how this would go over with with folks who have not had a lot of experience with AST, right? Yeah. Or even folks who do and think it's the fun versus the rigorous. Because I think yeah. they're – if you tell people that they're fascists, they tend not to like that, especially if they're <laughs> if they live in a democratic society and they think of themselves as, uh, you know – living there and being pro-democracy. And then you say, yeah, but your whole system is actually coercive and uh, fascist uh, or at least authoritarian. It's like, well, I don't know about that. I like my, you know, I'm a nice uh, person. Don't, you don't have to drag me like that. But I think the importance here to understand is 
that this isn't about individual teachers, right? This is a systemic problem. Like this is, you know, teachers yeah. in schools, generally speaking, don't get to say, I don't want to give grades. I just want to have a classroom community that is focused on learning science. I don't want to evaluate my students. I want I want this to be just as it would be in in a civil society. Like you don't pass out grades in in a conversation with your friends. Like, oh yeah, good idea, Ali. Thanks for contributing that. You get an A for for today's dinner. Yes, uh, shared. Yeah, exactly. So you know, I mean, I think. It is it is interesting that we've set up this coercive system and don't necessarily even recognize it as one um, or definitely don't and certainly don't recognize it as authoritarian as in contrast to democratic. Like there are definitely people who that would they would be scared by that. Right. That that or at least offended that you would you would be indicating that their their um, approach or that their system of preparing students but that's the thing, right? That That's the really, okay, if we're really doing a, I, I haven't listened to the whole Rachel Maddow, so I don't know, but, but what are our schools preparing students to be when they leave school? Well, we're preparing them to be accepting of author, authoritarian contexts, right? To say, yes, authority is always right and I am always wrong. And if I behave in a way that is contra, uh, contrary to that authority, I will, I will be sanctioned or punished. Wow. Wow. Happy, happy days. <laughs> that, that, I think Enjoy your holiday. We need to go into joys like now. Because yeah, we just oh, stuck the landing there, but oh, not in the best possible way. Like, it's like, uh, you just ripped out my heart right there. Yeah, just threw it on the floor yeah, and, and stepped on it. On it. <laughs> it's like, ouch. <laughs> because like you and I've been working in this stuff for like 30 years and it's like, you well, know, and we were both, we were both high school teachers and, and right. did and visited this upon our students. Like at best we were, we were, you know, hopefully we were better than average right. um, in terms of our, our recognition of the relational and agentic nature of the kind of teaching that we wanted to do. But I didn't I didn't have the hype button and the and the music and right. the lighting show um but I also didn't wasn't doing ambitious instruction no. so I would say I was uh, I was is it possible to be less authoritarian <laughs> in in an authoritarian a, system authoritarian light I was, <laughs> I was a benevolent dictator Yes, that's what I was. <laughs> that's what you were. You liked your kids, even though you told them they were wrong and idiots. And right. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, that's it. Ollie, the benevolent dictator. That's. Uh, I think that's what my kids call me. Yeah, my, I think my, you should get a children. T-shirt. Yes. <laughs> oh wow, that just it just stomped on my heart just a little bit more. A, right a there. little bit more. All right, Joyce. Woo. Joyce. Joyce. You want to go first? Well, I, I have a, I have a simple one. It's, it's um, I'm a simple man, Jenny. It is, you know, the holiday season is upon us and there's so many really good foods from this time of the year. Mm, mm. But I will say that there's, there's something, that, uh, a, a food that someone just, you know, alerted us to last year that we're like, like on a hunt for right now. Um, there's uh, a cookie company called Stoffers. I don't even know. Maybe, maybe it's oh, Stoffers. Yeah. yeah. And so they make, they make animal crackers and mm-hmm. other things, but this time of the year they bring out stars. Oh, I don't know and what this is. 
Okay, so there's they're little stars. I think they're like graham cracker stars. They're really, really thin. But they are covered with either milk chocolate, because they have a milk chocolate version that comes in a red box, mm. or a dark chocolate version, which mm. comes in a green box. Mm. And they have little non-perials on top. Oh. And they mm. are delightful. Delightful. Yes, they are, they are like a little bite of holiday right in your mouth. Mm. Wow. Wow, look at yeah. that. Well, thank Stars. you for that. Stars. Yeah, every time, are they, are they available I, in like regular grocery stores? Or do you have to? Oh yeah, them? oh yeah. But they're like they're becoming hard, like it's early in the season and they're becoming harder to find. Like mm. I found the green ones, but not the red ones. I didn't find any of the milk chocolates just recently. I mean, we've already like it's it's funny in our group. We're like we're on our third box of stars. Like you know, and there's some friends of ours that are up to their seventh box of stars for this holiday season because it's just like they're just so uh, uh, addictive. Um, Wow! All right, well that's that's good to know. I I I will. I'm changing my joy now to a food based joy because you just made me think of food. So I was like, oh, I got it. Yeah, it's all good. Okay, so um, so I'll look for those those stars. I don't know. I don't know that I need another vice in terms of <laughs> Christmas uh, foods that are know, not good like for you. But uh, pumpkin pie, pecan pie, pecan, <laughs> pistachio nut, macadamia nut. Um, I knew I was going to start that. <laughs> uh, I know. Okay. You, I know your triggers. I know where they are. <laughs> um. So, so I'll, the food that I will recommend is also, uh, it's, it's not really a holiday, but it is, it is seasonal to some degree. So this is Kringle. <clears throat> so if you don't know what Kringle is, the, the place that you, you can, well, Kringle comes from Racine, Wisconsin. Um, and it's, it's, a I guess, Norwegian pastry. It's a ring. And it's sort of, it's flaky. Um, it's sort of like, a, I don't know what, it's like lots of pastries, but it's a, it's a ring, big ring. So it's like maybe a foot by, you know, a foot and a half ring and it's flaky pastry with frosting on top. And then it's got filling in it. So it's sort of like a big Danish um, and <clears throat> they they put different fillings in it, but um, it's sold at Trader Joe's. And somehow, and this is one of these weird, like magic of Trader Joe's things that I do not understand. If you go on to the the website for, I think it's OH um, is the company in Racine. I forget what that stands for, but OH Kringle, you can, you can find their website. And if you order a Kringle directly from them, it's like 23 or $24 plus $10 shipping. So you're paying like $35 for this Kringle to be shipped to your home. If you go to Trader Joe's, they're nine bucks. So wow. I don't understand how they do that. But anyway, well, so what's your flavor? Because I looked just well, at, at the web at, at the website. It looks like there's a a pecan one. It, there's uh, a pecan one. Yeah. There's almond. There's almond. raspberry. I, I so, see the raspberry. So well, so this is the one disadvantage is that not disadvantage, but um, constraint is that Trader Joe's only has certain flavors and they have certain flavors at different times of the year. So right now is almond flavor. So if you go to a Trader Joe's and get a Kringle, you're going to get an almond Kringle right now. At least this is the way I understand it. Um, that at a later point in the year, you can get pecan. At a, later, a different point of the year, you can get pumpkin. There's raspberry. I think those are the only ones that Trader Joe's sells. Um, 
I like the the nutty ones. I like the almond and the pecan probably the best. Pecan or pecan, depending on where you're from. Yeah. Um, but they're delicious. I have two in my freezer right now because you, you got. But because when you why, get, because why, why not? Because <laughs> if you can get them, um, and they freeze really well. In fact, they arrive frozen, so that it's not hurt does not hurt them to freeze them. Um, for the first time this year, they were limiting you to only two Kringles per visit. So, wow. uh, you couldn't you like stockpile the Kringle. To go out to your car and come yeah. back in. It's, it's like, it's like an undergraduate buying beer downtown where they go into the bottle shop and buy a 12 pack and come out and put it on the curb and then go back in. And Pennsylvania has weird liquor laws, people. If you yeah. don't live and in Pennsylvania. Kringle laws. Apparently <laughs> Kringle laws too, right? People are stuffing Kringle into their pants to try to get out of the store. Whoa. Whoa hey now. Hey now. We could, you could just step outside, put them in your car and come back. You don't have to do yeah. that. Um, but anyway, I'll have to if, look for those. Yeah, yeah they just opened I, a Trader I, Joe's in our area, and you know, it is a little bit of a hike from where I am. But I mean, that might might be a a reason to go. Yeah, I'm. I you know, I always, as I'm sure you are with the stars. Like I'm a little nervous saying this because our our listenership is so large that now right. I may not be able to get Kringle anymore because all all the listeners are going to go out and buy a Kringle, and if they do that, we're going to have a national I, Kringle shortage. I know. It's like we want to like. I think we should start sharing joys that like throw people off. Yeah, oh, my, I like my, that. My, you know what I really at, like? <laughs> I really like this thing that no one else <laughs> likes. You should really try it. <laughs> I, I like potted beef product from Hormel. You should really go get some of that stuff. Oh, yeah. It's delicious. It's yeah. delicious. <laughs> Fried up in a pan. Right. <laughs> Partially. Yeah, Defatted fatty beef tissue. That's an actual <laughs> ingredient of, of Hormel pot of beef product. Mm. Mm, I don't even know what that means, but boy, <laughs> sure makes me want me want to buy a can of it. Yeah. As if we could throw one more obscurity into today's episode, that. that that's landing. the topper. Yeah. That did it. That well, did it. One, one of these days, I'll tell you the story behind where that came from, but today is not that day because we are done. Yeah. And we'll catch you next time. In between. See you then. I know.